0: Hello and welcome to the Merry Menopause Book Club, the podcast that brings you the authors of the books written to inspire us, educate us and guide us on our journey through midlife. Created and hosted by me, Joe Fuller, menopause and menstruation educator and founder of The Merry Menopause. I want to give women the information and education they need to make empowered choices around their health and well-being so that ultimately they can have a merry menopause. Edition of the Merry Menopause podcast. And today I am delighted to be joined by Tracy Cox, author of Great Sex Starts at 50, How to Age Proof Your Libido. Tracy has an academic background in psychology, has hosted several TV series both in the UK and the US, and her books are available in 140 countries, translated into over 20 languages. She's written 17 books, which include the bestsellers Hot Sex and Super Sex. Tracy has appeared on Oprah, CNN, and The Today Show in the U.S. as well as many primetime news chat shows worldwide. She has a weekly column with the Mail Daily Mail Online, the world's largest English-speaking news website. Her TV shows include the popular primetime series Would You Like to Meet? and Sex Inspectors. She has two product ranges developed with Love Honey, Edge, and Super Sex, and she currently lives in Notting Hill and is married with a stepdaughter. So, hello, Tracy, and welcome thank you sums it up doesn't it sums it sums it up that's you do we need to know any more well we, we, we do we need to know lots more we need to know lots more um I've just finished reading great sex starts at 50 um delighted to know that it is not the end of our sexual journey but it can be for many of us an awakening and the beginning um and I'd love to know the, the background behind it, what prompted you after writing all these books? Why, why you've written this one specifically for ladies of our age in our in our midlife?
1: Um, I did it because i I written, like I said, that was my 17th book. And after 16 books about sex and relationships, you do think, well, what else really can I say? Because all <laughs> publishers want is a general book about sex. They want to make sure you cover everything. And then after 16 goes of writing various things about how to give oral sex, I was very much... Like, what else can I say? And then I went through menopause, and suddenly it was a bit like, Yep, okay, there is a lot more to say. And I, I think, rather foolishly, and I don't know whether it was foolish really, I kind of thought that menopause wouldn't affect me as much sexually as everybody else. I knew I wasn't going to escape the other stuff, but I kind of thought, Well, look, I'm fine, I'm going to be fine. I've written all these books, I know all about it. I'm you know my sex drive was high I'm not backward and going to get help for anything I thought this is going to be fine but what it did to me was two things first up it was like my it wasn't like the I didn't lose desire for sex. I just forgot about sex. And in the sense that, you know, if I'm working from home, I will often have regular masturbation sessions. It's just part of what I do. It's like going and getting a cup of tea. And suddenly I thought to myself, hang on, I haven't I haven't masturbated in I don't know how long. And um, and then I realised, and I just thought, God, that sort of that nagging, you know, like itch to scratch sort of feeling had gone. And then that was round about, I think it was 47, 48, And then I noticed it was actually not at that time that sex started getting painful, but it was a long time after that that suddenly sex started getting really painful. And it was a bit like, oh, my God, I'm struggling with the libido. I'm struggling with painful sex. And I know so much about sex. It isn't funny and what to do. So if I'm struggling, surely there is a need for it. So it was partly selfishly motivated, the book, Mm -hmm. in that I just thought, right, you know, I need to fix this for me. And... It's a really good idea for a book. And no one seemed to be doing it. There's a little bit out there. There's lots on menopause, but there's nothing much on sex.
0: Personally. No.
1: So that's not in a medical way, is
0: there? No, and and I think, um, I mean, this doesn't just cover menopause. Obviously, it's, it's, it's looking at... It's, sex in a a different stage of life than when you're you know young and virile and it's you know that's all we're consumed with you know this is and you touch you touch on some great points about um I think I think for a lot of women menopause is is physical but a lot of women don't recognize the mental the the mental side of menopause and the not it sends us mental but the mental changes that happen and one of those is that we switch off from our sexual desire and we disconnect from ourselves. And that takes work. That reconnection takes work. And there's a, a brilliant chapter called um, Women Don't Have Low Libidos. We're bored. Mm. And I love that because we kind of we so much we spend our lives blaming ourselves for so much. And then we get to this stage. We're in a relationship and we're just not up for it. And it's our fault. But mm-hmm. no no it's not our fault is it there are are lots of myths
1: about women that are untrue and one of the biggest myths of all is that women have a lower libido than men they don't right and where this all comes from is that if you put a man in a long-term relationship with one partner right and you said to him okay you're going to have sex three times a week it's going to be exactly the same way and you're you're not going to vary anything at all but you're just going to have exactly the same sex three times a week and that's going to be your lot for life they'd probably go yeah okay no, they'd go, yes, that's fine. Because men nearly always orgasm through partner sex. If you said to a woman, you're going to have the same sex the rest of your life, she would be bored after about two months because women are the ones that need eroticism and adventure and you know, new things to try, novelty. It's not so much that that men do. And yet we tend to think that men men are the ones that are asking for adventurous things. It's not. It's women who need the adventure to keep themselves going. So our sex drive isn't low. It just needs a hell of a lot more stimulation. So if you give an older woman, you know, boring, ordinary sex that hasn't worked for her for years, she's going to say, you know what, I can't be bothered. If you give an older woman erotic, hot, sex, you know, that's really interesting. She's gonna say yes. So it's not that it's it's nothing to do with libido. It's the sort of sex that's on offer for most women that we're saying no to.
0: So ladies, listen, listen to that. Really, that's a really important point. You know, if you if you're sex driving, I mean, there's, you go into a lot about relationships and how to deal with difficulties in relationships, one partner not wanting sex, one partner do maybe having a sexist, um relationship, agreeable sexless relationship, how to talk about it. But if you are at that point where you are bored with sex and you think it's oh, you blame it on the menopause, reframe it, have another look at it, because Actually, you, you could still have a thriving sex drive. You were just bored of having the same sex. Yeah. And hence the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it was so
1: interesting when that book came along because it was around about the time. So how long, how long has it been out? Oh, a couple of years, isn't it? And I remember uh, must be it, coming out 10 years, I reckon. Yeah, probably 10 years. And around about that time, it was quite fashionable for people to say, oh, I'm not interested in sex. Sex is so passe. We don't have sex now, do we, Harold? You know, that sort of thing. And suddenly that came along, and particularly for middle-aged women. Middle-aged women just grabbed it and ran with it. And I remember going on a holiday with my husband and we ended up talking to this other couple. And she brought the minute you, you say you're anything to do with sex. Somebody talks about 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> she brought it up. She said that she would, had been quite bored with sex. And then she said she read it. And in the middle of the night, she said it was about two o'clock in the morning. She was looking down at her husband and thinking, will I wake him up for sex? And she said, we, we probably haven't had sex for like three years. And here I was looking at him thinking, well, I wake him up. And so that's just how powerful turning yourself on can be. And this is a strong theme. If you've read the book, which you have, you know that that's a very strong thing is to take responsibility for your arousal. Don't just sit there and expect that desire is going to suddenly overtake you. It's not because that spontaneous desire is hormones and post-menopause hormones go through the floor, right? So you then have to do the job of your hormones and turn yourself on by reading books that do it for you you know whether that one does or if that there's plenty more out there there's audio porn there's all sorts of erotica for women made by women so there's tons of stuff like that to turn yourself on and um or just run a fantasy in your head so if you do that then that provokes desire or promotes desire and then you're back to square one so you you
0: almost have to do the job of the
1: hormones but it can be done
0: yeah and 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 you don't have to this this is not the end of your sex life this is not the end of your libido you just need to shake it up you know, you just need to discover. Yeah, It's rethinking sex, looking at sex
1: differently. Mm. Desire is not just going to come to you, right? So you have to create it. And the other thing is to rethink the way we think about sex. We, we think about sex as having a beginning, a middle and an end and including intercourse. Now, maybe, just maybe, especially if you're in a long-term couple with someone the same age as you, penetration might not be possible. It might be painful for you, and he might be having erection problems. So that doesn't mean the end of sex, which for a lot of couples, they do come to that conclusion. It just means you're going to have different sex, sex that's based on oral sex or touching or non-penetrative sex. Now, women come around to that idea pretty quickly because it's beneficial for us because acricies is outside the vagina, it's fine. Men struggle because to men sex is putting their penis in something Mm. and if they if their penis isn't hard enough then they don't know what to do so you know that was a whole big thing in the book as well was talking to men about you know what do you do when you have wobbly erections and they are absolutely flummoxed and it's quite a difference between men and women that women sort of go right okay menopause shit I'd better deal with this, I'd better deal with that. And they see it as a solution solving exercise. Men look at their penis, aging, erection not happening. And it's sort of like, go underground, ignore it. And just avoid sex with your partner and just end up having, you know, sex with yourself watching porn. That's what a lot of men do. That's their solution.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really, that's a really great thing that you've highlighted in here, because there's, there's a point where it's like, you know we, we talk a lot about women losing their libido we don't talk enough about men losing their erections mm. and as I think you say men are terrified of a penis that doesn't work oh my god it's a psychological catastrophe yeah and I and it's, it's much more of a mind game and how if you are in a relationship with it with a guy whose penis is becoming less hard than it used to the sort of different ways to find out is it, is it a psychological problem or is it a physical problem is you know which can be dealt with you know medically or actually is is there something bigger that needs to be discussed? Why he's not getting the erections that he used to, and I think that was a really interesting point. Um, I found that really interesting because it is, it's about seeing it from somebody else's point of view. It's like, okay, you know, it's not just about me. This is this is about him as well, and he's going through stuff.
1: That's right, <laughs> and and that's why talking about sex is the most important thing at any age. Because if you and and this is what shocked me, honestly, Joe, I've got loads of really you know good couple friends that I know very well they get on so well they talk about everything together and just uh, you know when I was researching the book I was a couple of friends I really had to push into doing the interviews with me and I was like what's going on here you know and it turned out that they very quietly stopped having sex hadn't ever discussed it with their partners and I was like well have you not talked about it no why not you talk about everything else why would you not talk about that no embarrassing um you know he didn't want to talk about it because it was embarrassing she might think less of him if he's not getting an erection she didn't want to talk about it to him I don't want him to think that I'm being barren so many women actually hadn't told their partners that they've gone through the menopause which I found astounding in this day and age um so there's a lot of shame and fear and anxiety about being seen as less than this you know up for it strapping sexual young man or you know like a woman who's always up for it and you know it's just like oh for god's sake we allow everything else to age about ourselves well sort of um but we get very funny about our genitals aging it seems to be a big thing for men and women but yeah and
0: i and i as you say communication is key and there's so many um great tips in the book about how to have i think there's, there's a chapter called elephant in the room it's about how to really broach you know because sex does change there's that lovely line make affection not love mm. you know because sex does change we don't and and again you say we don't have our orgasms aren't as intense as they were in our 20s where we are you know we're holding on to the bed going ah <laughs> you know they they're they're different everything's different everything's softer everything's more fragile you know it's not about deep thrusting penetration, it's being more gentle with each other. And a softer penis suits a softer vagina as we age, you know, that's so when right. men start to take Viagra, you know, it's all sorts of problems, all sorts of problems. If you know, if you haven't got a, a young 2030 year old vagina, and suddenly you've got a 50 year old vagina and a 50 year old penis on Viagra, that's, that's gonna hurt.
1: It does. And it and it causes lots of problems, of course. Now, and I find it interesting that, of course, they've solved the um, erection problems for men, but haven't really solved the lower desire for women. But then again, that's just the way the world goes. I think it's probably easier to solve an erection problem because all an erection problem is is blood not coming into the chambers, flowing to the chambers to make it hard. And desire is such a difficult one to do. But do you know what also struck me, also struck me when when writing the book was just we are so controlled by human i mean hormones as human beings we Mm -hmm. are everything is hormones when you're younger it's hormones when you fall in love it's hormones and that's the other thing is that you know when you're when long-term relationships versus short-term like you mentioned that you're single now you'll find when you next meet somebody that of course you get that lovely Blessed time with, you know, the minute you meet somebody new or your, you know, body floods with all these lovely love and sex hormones that. Well, I hope so, Tracy. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll report back. <laughs> no, it will. It will. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all the things that other people in long term relationships that are complaining about with age, and are like, oh this is happening and that's happening, they disappear miraculously when that happens because you've got incentive and it's interesting and it's exciting. So it's not about the ageing. It's not about the menopause symptoms. It's
0: about who the hell you're having sex with and whether it's exciting or not. And it's a mindset. It's a definite, I mean, if you, if you know, I could tell myself, this is it. I'm coming up 51. We've been in lockdown for, you know, over a year. Um, that's it. My chance of meeting somebody over. You know, I just, oh. no, I don't think that. And I, I think when we come out of lockdown, everyone's just going to go a bit feral, aren't they? I mean, it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be hilarious. I, I imagine, you know, I thought it's funny. I bumped. I in Brighton. I lived by the seaside. And I bumped into a friend today on my walk. And I said, I can just imagine it. everyone's just going to get really drunk, and they're just going. To, people are just going to be having sex on the beach. It's just <laughs> going to like. It's just going to go like a Woodstock festival. It's just going to go a bit crazy on the twenty first of June. Oh, it would be hilarious if it
1: did happen, but um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in terms of like being single and fifty, God almighty, I met my. I've been married twice. Um, I met my new husband when I was, what was I, 50, 51, I think, 50, 51. And and all of my life I was always very career-driven and sort of probably not so i was probably like a bachelor really and i wasn't that interested in settling down and then i got to about 45 and i was like "Mm, maybe maybe i should maybe i'm like getting to the age where i would look just like somebody i think i kind of always did want somebody but i didn't really want to change anything about myself or my life they had to pay second figure to my second fiddle to my career but um but then i met miles at 50 and i do remember those years from 45 to 50 thinking shit I'm really looking now and I can't find anyone because I always went out with younger men and they're fine to, to sort of, but I didn't really want to settle down with a younger man. I don't know why I just didn't. And um, suddenly having to find somebody your own age, it was just like, where are they? What's going on? Where, Where are they all hiding? And then, but I do think it's a numbers game. And one thing I was very good at is going out and meeting lots of people and always looking around. I mean, when I was single, I, I don't think I ever went anywhere without scanning the room to see if there was anyone attractive in the room. So I was very good at that, very good at flirting, very good at I have no qualms at all. I mean, with my husband, I sort of, he was standing outside having a pint on the river in Richmond, and I was sitting with my girlfriend saying, oh, he's a bit all right. And then I found this box of matches that were from string fellows, from a stripping club. And I found them, and they were near him. And I said, oh, are these your matches? You know, do you mind if I borrow them? And he said, oh, no, they're not my matches, not my matches. And looking at me like I haven't been to strip club. And then we started chatting, and that was that. Now, so I met him at 50. Now, I had to say, was it because he was the right person for me, or was I just ready? And I do think a hell of a lot of that has got to do with you being in the right mindset, looking for the right things, not being too hung up on tick, 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 they've got to look like this, they've got to be this, they've got to, you know, and just being open to meeting people and not trying to have this big, long partner list, which you have when you're young. I mean, my partner wish list was about 50 you know, points long of every tick that they had to have before they would be let in. And I think I've narrowed it down to 10 characteristics, things like intelligence, funny, kind, you know, have to be attractive to me, but it didn't matter whether anyone else agreed with me and all that sort of stuff. So it's, I think women often find the right person post-50 because I think women are better post-50. I think we get less people pleasing, we're happier, we're more confident, we don't care, we're fun,
0: you know. Yeah. And we sort and I think emotionally, I mean, I've definitely, you know, my last boyfriend on paper, you know, and I met him, I'm a big reader and a book fell out of his bag in, in a pub where the rugby was on. And that's how we got talking. Um, and on paper, he, he ticked my list. It was like, but it turned out alcohol was more important than me. And it's oh, like, okay. you know, I'm out of here. You know, the, ba- I really oh, yeah. thought, you know, the boundaries are in place. This is, this is not going to work. So I, I do know that I'm more prepared for the right guy to come along. And I love the little bit in the book where you go, um, you know, about you talk about the list and you talk about, you know, for us online dating is, is still not that comfortable, you know, for the generations like your your stepdaughter you mentioned, you know, it's just normal. It's like, well, how are you going to meet somebody if you don't do it online? But we've still got that stigma attached to it. Yeah. And I look at previous boyfriends and I think if I'd seen them online, I would not have swiped. Exactly. And also think about,
1: you know, if you've got good couple friends, the man that you know, but like once you know somebody, you've got to be able to look past the exterior and see. them. And that's why when people say, God, how did they end up together? It's like, oh, you don't know, you know, Rupert, he's just so funny and you don't know him. He's just like, he's just, he's just, the, he's so kind and he didn't do anything for her. It, when you date, all you see is the face and the body and they're sort of, and they say, so, oh, they're not going to work for me. And you do have to see past that. You really do. And, and also have realistic expectations. I think like one of my girlfriends, um, has just the most unrealistic expectations she had. She had like, got, she's a big dancer. She, they've got to be able to dance salsa. They've got to be able to listen to her talk about poetry, but they've got to be a man and be able to fix the thing and get up on the roof. And what it's like, you're not going to get both. And in fact, she did. She ended up getting this guy that ticked all her weird, totally contradictory things but then he's too short and I said you are kidding me you are not going to get rid of this guy (laughs) because he's too short when he's ticked all these ridiculous boxes that are like three different people in one so she
0: didn't she's with him thank you and how long have they been together a year and a bit she's still going on about the short bit (laughs) so I think she's probably got over that but she's just well she
1: is but she still gets mentioned and it it is quite hilarious is that she had this wish list I thought she's never ever going to meet anyone like that but you never get every single thing you
0: never get every single thing so you need to just and also do we have every single thing no no but I mean but you also you also say in your book you know every week you meet a, a great woman like I do, you know, the work that I do every week, I interact with at least one amazing woman that I'm just like blown away and go, I want to be your friend. Yeah. And then months go away and it's like, I haven't met a guy. I haven't even, I might have smiled at somebody in Waitrose, but that's that's about it. You know, it's just, yeah, they are out there. But there is a lovely phrase um, which I have written down that you use to describe the, the lack of men at our age. And I can't find it. Something like uh how rare they are. Oh, it was a great nine. Was it? And I've written it down. I'll put it in the show notes, Tracy. I'll find it <laughs> after we spoke. Cause it was it really it borderline extinction, that was it. Oh right. Eligible men in their fifties are like borderline <laughs> extinction. It's like, yeah, they are. But I suppose it's how we look at how we view it. You know, we might see a guy i don't know where do they all go you never see men in their 50s i don't know where they go out where do they go out
1: and this is the thing going back to online dating briefly i don't think anyone likes online dating unless you're very young if you're 20 you know if you're in early you know life fine because that's just what they do they think it's weird when you go out and meet somebody in real life so but you know it's all about we all rattle on about chemistry and all that sort of stuff you can pick up a little bit about chemistry online But the thing is, it's, it's what it does is it gives you so many more choices, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. So if you live in a small, say you don't go out that much, say you've only got, you know, two pubs that are, you know, that you tend to go to and you don't really want to roll up at other places or you haven't got anyone else to go with you. This is where you're going to meet the people, you know, that are at home and probably living two feet from you that just don't go out to the same place as you do. So it is a big advantage, whether you like it or not. It does give you a lot more advantages than you ever had before,
0: particularly if you're looking for a niche type person. And I, you know, I know many success stories, you know, one of my best friends married a guy she met online. My sister, has; she's been with her husband. They met through the telegraph you, you wrote to a po box number you know back in the day you know i know so i mean what there was a lot of effort involved in that photos and you know so it does it does work um i'd i've never i've never i just i can't bear that sort of shopping for guys thing i just it's a it's a mindset i'm gonna wait for it for shopping I think it'd be great but then I've watched
1: so many friends go through it and it's I think you have to have nerves of steel and also just sort of be tough because I think everyone's quite rude and people like turn not turning up or Mm. you know and then not turning up or or walking past having a look and then
0: just deciding not to go I think that's just awful and just go for a coffee just no more than that first time, go for a coffee. And even I think the last time I, I delved into internet dating, it was like speak to them even before you have a coffee, have a phone call. Yes, because you can tell
1: a lot by someone's voice. Yeah, absolutely you can.
0: Whether they're a serial killer or not. <laughs>
1: well, probably not quite that. <laughs> you can tell whether they're, I don't know, I think you could tell a hell of a lot from someone's voice. So if you can see them and then get them to stand, that's what I, I would do now. I would have a phone call and I'd make I'd do a zoom call and then I'd say I don't know come up with some excuse where they had to stand up and I could see them against something so you could see the proportions and and the way they walk the way somebody walks is also
0: another thing isn't it it's well it's shoes I'm I'm a dreadful judgment dreadful judge when it comes to shoes yeah yeah you're probably right it's like if somebody's got bad shoes I don't know it's a shoes joke come on I know I know I know there's I've got a list I'm a bit weird like your friend my list is is quite weird um but I will let you know Tracy if on the 21st of June when it all kicks off what um maybe I should start looking now Maybe I should do some sort of like pre-sale shopping, you know, put a few things in my be, basket. The
1: thing is you'd be good online because you're gregarious, you're attractive, you you love oh. to banter and all that lot. So, you know, people like you work well online. I think the people who don't work well online are people who aren't very good at technical stuff, who who are a bit shy, mm. very good at the socials, and who maybe need movement. To You know, like some people look attractive in a photograph and other people look better when they move and you see them in real life. So some people just don't photograph well.
0: Full stop. and at the end at the end of the day you know i could meet miles and go what's all the fuss about but between you and miles there is a chemistry there is that hormonal chemistry and that's the thing that you that's why you have to meet somebody and that's why it is a numbers game because it's that that connection that we're all looking for that's so hard to find regardless of their shoes or how tall they are it's like it's that and be open to love as well
1: it's it's a lot easier to love than to allow somebody to love you there are lots of people who really, I mean, there's a reason why people aren't in relationships if they've been single for a long, long time. There's generally a reason. And the reason is often that they're just not used to being intimate with people. And that's the other thing I've noticed is that if you have been single for a while, you're, you're out of practice. It's like anything. That's where you need to just go out with anyone just to get back into the practice of dating. You know, just, it's just called you just aren't used to being, you've forgotten how to act in a relationship or how to act when you're
0: on a date. And it's just all practice. I I think, you know, coming out of lockdown, I I mean, I haven't, you know, I live on my own and I'm single and I haven't had physical contact, you know, normally. So my friend that I bumped in today, normally we'd have had a, you know, a hug and a kiss. You know, that would be our instinctive greeting. And I haven't done that to somebody for almost a year, Tracy. I know there's a lot of people you know, like me we're gonna to have to sort of almost re-socialize yeah you no. are you are god it must have been very difficult actually I've had a few
1: friends like you being single and but you've got a dog like some of them have got have just gone out and bought dogs and solved all their problems
0: no I haven't yeah, got I no that, I um. I mean I'm like I've got a very sociable road I've got great neighbors I've got great friends I live in Brighton you know I'm allowed to go down the beach and have a walk so it's not as if I'm isolated yeah. no but definitely you know to sit and share a meal with somebody or you know just touch somebody just give your friends a hug you know it's it's going to be from what was so instinctively natural to be so tactile Mm. it's so instinctively now not to be tactile and it's like how long is that going to take to come back
1: I don't know I was in Australia for an interesting experiment yeah and when we came back, I was like, "Whoa, okay. I'm terrified, And also just, oh my god. and And obviously, we've been back since July, so I know how awful it is, but you've had all that time on top of that. So you know it's a long, long, long time. And it does change behaviors. It does I mean, I cannot imagine being in a crowded place. I just don't want to be, I don't think. I really don't want to be in a crowded place anymore.
0: No, and people can't are talking about you know, shaking oh, shaking hands for no reason, yeah, or just kissing, you know, just just kissing somebody, or you know, sharing a packet of crisps. You know how we used to just don't no, do that. It's just it's gonna, game. it's just all gonna be really, really strange. How that but there's going to be a distance, mm. isn't there? That and that's gonna, I think that's gonna affect people psychologically, physically. And I think intimacy is going to be, mm. yeah, there's going to be issues there. And I think people of my age will recognize it. But you think about younger people who didn't know that they've lost it because they didn't have it.
1: Yeah, that's true. Because I was about to say, I think there's some upsides with all this in that forced isolation does make you rethink things. It does make you think about, well, what do I really need? What do I really want? So I think it's honed down that wish list for a lot of people Mm. and also made a lot of people I know said, you know what? I used to think that a relationship was going to make me happy. I've since decided I, so many other things make me happy, like books and theatre, and you appreciate your friends more, and you just sort of nature and all that sort of stuff. So, a relationship is lovely, but it's not the be all and end all with everything. And so, there's that. And then I do think that I've my point now. Was I was
0: going to crap all about. I think like the right, but I think I think you know, lockdown. Mm. If people weren't in the right relationship, I mean, talk about oh yes, having to completely confront the fact that this is not working and we need to do something about it. So as traumatic a good as that would thing as be. Well. I think so many people stay in
1: the wrong relationship for the wrong reasons. And I think lockdown has, you either, you know, got on really well. I had a few bickers because everybody did, or it closed a lot of relationships, finished a lot of relationships and probably should have been finished a long time ago. And yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing for anybody because if you're not happy, just leave. And also just think of all the new single people that are going to be out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Damaged, damaged single. People. <laughs> all single, traumatised. We're all a bit damaged, aren't we? Really. <laughs> but that and that and I think you know that's that's the other thing. You know when you talk about you know how to communicate within a relationship, it's about recognising. I always remember a great friend of mine said to me when you meet somebody, especially later in life, it's you know there's all that that's that stuff around, but is does your shit fit with their shit? Does your baggage fit with their baggage? Because we've all got it. We all come with it. We're all dealing with it. We're all going to carry it on. So it's like, can you make your your baggage work? Really, I think is an ultimate thing as you get into to later life and have a relationship. All that stuff you're dragging around with you. Can you both handle each other's? Yeah.
1: And I think that's a very, very good way of looking at it, because honestly, You've figured out how to handle it to be able to get to that point, to be able to get to our age, and they figured out their way. And there's not a the great deal that's going to change at this age unless you both so you know want to go and get you know therapy and all that sort of stuff on how to change each other to mold together. But this, I mean, you know, when I met my husband, he was obviously fully formed, and so was I, and we've done a lot of um molding around each other. But no one's changed. You can't change who you are. You're not going to change your intrinsic personality. So if you don't like what you see, like when you're 20, I think there was all, you know, I remember with my girlfriends, it would always be like, oh, he's really good. But, and it was once I do this and when he does that, and when, you know, once I change him a little bit, he'll be fine. Whereas I think now you kind of know, yeah, you could change the shoes, you could change the way they look, maybe a bit of politeness and rough around the edges or, you know, make them a bit healthier or, but ultimately, you know, if you don't actually like the the person, the proper person inside there, well then forget it and move on.
0: And isn't that, isn't that one of the benefits of being an older woman in a relationship? Because I look at my relationships in my twenties and how much I had no boundaries you know, it's all about pleasing him. It was all about bending yes. and shaping to to make that relationship work, to please him, to manage his needs and his expectations. Mm. And now I'm like, nah. <laughs> you know, I can't change you. You can't change me. Let's try and make it work. And I think you, I think in the book, you give it a bit of a timeline. It's like, you know, if after sort of a year or so, if it's really not, if you're trying too hard, yeah. it's just not happening. Move on.
1: Yeah, absolutely move on. And I also think though it's however sad it can be, love is the love, you do need love. Obviously you need love, but love is kind of one of the least important things that you need. You can I've been in relationships and where there was so much love for each other, but just zero out nothing else compatibility wise, just pushed each other's triggers awful. So love is a factor, but love doesn't solve everything. That's rubbish. That's, that belongs in the wrong comes and should stay there. You know, you need great communication skills. You need histories that match up. You need common goals. You need common elements and like things that will fit together. That you know, op, you know, Tweedle dumb and Tweedle Dee. And opposites are they don't attract. They similarity. You know, people who are similar stay together. Opposites are they're great in the beginning because it's all really interesting. You think you're going to be in, you know what is it yin and yang um but it's two opposite no a little bit opposite great you know there's a little bit of drama and tension. but two so you know you do need all that stuff and love isn't enough it really isn't so if you're trying so hard both of you and you've got all the will in the world to stay but it's not working and it's still not working after a year walk away yeah walk away
0: know, and know and know that then creating the space for what what could be the you know the love of your life to come in rather than you know flogging a dead horse really isn't it that's what it's all about um Tracy wow I feel like I'm having a cup of tea with a girlfriend in knockdown. that was uh, such a lovely lovely chat um we kind of don't want it to go over much more than 40 minutes and I think we've got so much in there um I will there'll be show notes under this to the listener to, to direct them to the book but have we just one one pearl of wisdom for the listener in her 50s thinking it's all over have you got one one great tip for her course, it's apart from reading the book obviously yeah, read the book but it's it's just begun the second
1: part just the begun can be so much better I've had the best i'm 60 this year and i've had the best 10 years ever these last 10 years much better than before because you've sort of you're less competitive you're happier you're just more content and peaceful and you don't give a you know sod about anything so and and also it's not all about being young just forget the young bit who cares Mm -hmm. like look as good as you can but then shift all that you know don't go for the big lips and the bloody fillers and the christ knows what else just shift all that just have the you know it's it's the start of a whole new different era it's the second part of your life it is and it's a and it's a real chance, a yeah. real chance to be you reinvent yourself if you yeah. want to or stay exactly the same whatever it makes you happy but absolutely not over no
0: wonderful oh on that note tracy cox thank you so much for your time uh, and for joining me on the podcast and um we will speak soon i hope Goodbye. Really enjoyed it, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Vicky Bristow Communications for producing this series. You can find out more about me and my work at www.themerrymenopause.com or follow me on Instagram at The Merry Menopause. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and subscribe. It will really help other people to find me.